Hi, I'm Autumn Marie Cox, and I'm not hungover. I'm just sad. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and the dark is nothing to be afraid of, okay? Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Normal accidents. And uniformitarianism. Well done. <laughs> Bravo. I'm giving I'm giving Anna the golf clap because she first time that. she nailed that on the first try. Yes. Well done. Today we are doing what we plan on being a mini sode. Right. And we're excited Which, to talk about the topics we have. So you know, you might get a bonus episode, really. We are gonna talk about silo. And Dan, why are we doing a mini episode today? <laughs> Because, Anna, we were supposed to talk about William Gibson's Neuromancer for our Cannon Fodder sequ- uh, series, and we are going to do that. We're just going to do it next week. And the reason we're going to do it next week is because Dan couldn't get his shit together in time before he <laughs> left for Central Asia and did not bring the copy of Neuromancer that he had. In fact, just to be clear, I still have not actually found the copy of Neuromancer that I am quite certain I possess. And in the end, I had to order a new copy. And so I'm going to read it from scratch again. Still reading um, on paper. Love that, yes. Dan. Love that for you. I will. When it comes to novels, I always want to read on paper. It's just how I am. But we actually thought it was kind of fitting. So we're going to talk about Silo. And then we're going to do an encore episode of Ender's Game, which seems appropriate because... Like Neuromancer, it's an early 80s sci-fi classic. And so sort of a nice segue that way. And like Silo, I think there's something up with that academy. Yeah. There's something suspicious about that academy that they're at, all those kids. There might be a plot twist that's a coming, Anna. I think that's possible. (laughs) It's entirely possible. It's a good point. Yeah. Something's up there. I don't know what it is. So we're going to be talking about Silo, which has the, hmm, something's up here. Something is, something is amiss at the Circle K and the Silo. Something's amiss at the (laughs) Silo, I have a feeling. Those are the thematic connections between Silo and Ender's Game, which was our first cannon fodder, I believe. It was our very first cannon fodder. So, and we haven't done one in a while, so I'm looking forward to to doing Gibson's Neuromancer. We got to come up. I need to start thinking up a schlock and all one. We haven't done one of those in a while. That's right. So we have Neuromancer and then we have Yellow Jackets. We have a bunch yep. of fun stuff planned. We are, of course, Holy doing a uh, hot sci-fi summer, which we're taking a mm-hmm. little literally. Well, I guess it can't be literal, but we're going to do the Pitch Black series. Yes. Correct? Which does include some very hot sequences. Yes. <laughs> well, it's also a hot planet, right? Like that's the... The middle one, yes. The middle yes. one is a hot planet. Okay. And yeah, yeah. a hot temperature planet. If you are not already a patron, please consider becoming one. Uh, you can find us on patreon.com slash space the nation. And a free way to support the show is to rate mm. and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, tell your friends and neighbors. Dan, we have a special surprise planned. Or not really a surprise, but a special treat for our patrons when we get to 250. What is that treat we have planned? The treat when we get to 250 patrons is that we will do a patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by the patrons. And to be very clear, that topic doesn't even have to be sci-fi related. We've opened it up. You could... Yep. You could make us do love, actually. You could make us do say anything. You could, you know, make us, you can't <laughs> make us Or another read... movie that has some kind of doorstep scene. <laughs> like right, exactly. Scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> some grand romantic gesture scene. Done at the we edge could do of the that. house. <laughs> Just to be clear, there are some things for which we will veto. We do still have veto power. We're not going to do Atlas Shrugged for you. Oh, We're not no. going to be doing 
1500 word novels for you. Like yeah. we're going to, you know, you have to be a no little Lord reasonable about what we Sorry. can do in a week. Like, nope. We, we nope. may nope. do nope. 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 maybe some version of that someday, but like, I don't know. I don't, my Elvish is still pretty rusty. So we know, would do can... the Hobbit. I think the Hobbit would yes. be perfectly. I think that would be a good cannon fodder yes. episode. That actually is a, yeah, that's, that's actually. a good point. Yeah. We have some updates in the social media category. <laughs> since we our do. Last episode. So, yeah, so again, social media is a very complicated terrain at this point. We are both on Mastodon and Post. On is on Instagram. I'm on Substack. But I understand. I hear that someone is on Blue Sky, Blue Sky, Blue Sky, Blue Sky, Blue Sky. Someone got an invite to Blue Sky. Ooh. And that is me. And actually, I almost <laughs> feel guilty about it because, Dan, it really is like old Twitter. It's kind of great. Oh, man, I miss old Twitter. <laughs> Like I old, really old do. Twitter. I gotta say, like, yeah, 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 yeah. 2010 Twitter, you know, like Sharknado Twitter, like when yeah. we all just suddenly started watching Sharknado at the same time, that, like which was Twitter an awesome. Before there were main characters, you know, yeah. like before, yeah. like you every day there was someone who fucked up on something, and we right. all had to have opinions about it. Twitter pre cancellation Twitter would perhaps pre cancellation Twitter. There is a really good piece by Charlie Warzel in the Atlantic that will be about a week old by the time people hear this about mm -hmm. how Twitter is now a right wing social network. Oh, it, yes. Just, well, it I is, believe it is. we are recording this, I believe, on the day that, that, you know, Ron DeSantis is going to be announcing his presidential campaign by taking his talents to Twitter and talking to Elon Musk, who is a straight shooter and in no way <laughs> right leaning. I'm convinced of that. Both sides of the aisle. Yeah. yeah uh, exactly. I have a question about that interview, which is that how did Ron DeSantis find the one mm -hmm. other adult on this planet who uses his fingers to eat pudding to do this interview? <laughs> I have to. Admit, I, I I will say this. It's kind I mean, of a probably right. Like that's, that's like by the team thing they have in common. He's picked the one other main character who's possibly more socially awkward than he is. Yes. And so it's just I, like the chemistry is going to leap that, off. That's the what it kind of the code for eating pudding with your fingers. I feel like yeah, is yeah. kind of for an awkward <laughs> socially a socially awkward yeah. person. <laughs> yep, 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 <laughs> to be clear, yep. if you have if y'all haven't heard the story, he apparently did this. It's one thing to eat with your fingers when you're alone. Mm -hmm. I've eaten with my fingers. I've eaten salad with my fingers once. We've all been there, Anna. We've in all done this. In a hotel with no, like, there's no silverware. I was starving. He did it on a plane, apparently. So, <laughs> just saying. He's, 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 I, he, he's an oddball. Our I have to fans. say, the baller move, if I'm being honest, would have been to have Amy Klobuchar enter to <laughs> I was just going to say, like, is it better or worse to eat with a... <laughs> At least you know where your fingers are. The two are of in. them need to have a podcast. <laughs> Unconventional eating choices with Amy and Ron. All right. Y'all, it's been a while since Dan and I talked, so obviously we're we're basically having too much fun because we, we have to get to move this along, Dan. Like chop chop. We gotta read yeah, yeah, that's right. How are you? I am good, Anna. I am still a little bit jet lagged from my trip to Central Asia. By, by Central Asia, I mean <laughs> Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, which is called Central Asia. You keep laughing when I say that. This is Central Asia. It let's put it this way: it's like it saying, get, you go to the Midwest. Like <laughs> I know, but it doesn't get more Central Asia than Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is the one country in the world that is double landlocked, meaning that not only is it landlocked, every country that borders it also landlocked. Like. 
It is a long I, I way was, from an I ocean, was, is what the, I'm saying. The etymology of double landlock is like escaping. I mean, I understand what, what you say. mean, yeah. but it's like, yeah. that's, it's like extra landlocked. I don't know. Double I, seems weird yeah. to me. But anyway, I'm not going to, it's not my fight to fight. So, good. and how are you? <laughs> so you're back. I am good. Hard not to talk about weather and travel when people talk, like when, when people ask how you're doing. Because we've had an amazing uh, run of storms here in Texas, which I'm trying to enjoy. Because soon there will be no water. (laughs) (laughs) And it has actually been, it's been those kinds of storms that that sometimes you get in dry parts of the world, which are like, they're really spectacular. You know, for some reason, there's something about the atmospherics. Like, oh, where like it sudden, rains so much that like the, the rain starts to accumulate like within 10 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's I thunder like and lightning. It's like kind of very oh, cool. dramatic. And I'm very Wrath fortunate. Wrath of God type stuff. That Exley is scared of a lot of things, but not thunder, weirdly. Like I don't know oh, how it is. fascinating. But. Mimi, like at the slightest hint of a change in humidity, Mimi is like under the bed. Mimi has gotten more scared over time. It's I mean, Exley gets under the covers, but he gets under the covers with me every night. So, yeah, he's a sweetheart. He's a world-class world-class cuddler. (laughs) Dan, what are, what do you got up to if people want to, you know, find out more about what you're doing? They can go to my Substack Because we forgot to talk more about, like, so you're on the Mastodon, you're on the post, and then. Yeah. But I have a Substack. It's called Dresner's World, uh, in which I'm trying to defy honest predictions that Substack will, will just evaporate or disapparate or whatever. Uh, so far, knock on wood, things are going well. Yeah, and on a beyond blue sky, because no one I'm sure listening is on blue sky, so they can't reach you there. If they can't reach you there, my understanding is you have a website. And <laughs> you're on website. I still yes. laugh. Like it's like this. It's like kind of quaint. I have a website. Yes. You have a URL. <laughs> it is on Um I uh, am a writing workshop leader these days. So mm. if you're interested. I've had a few people from our listenership take the writing workshop, and oh, I good. believe they have had good experiences. You can Excellent. find out more on my website, and I'm also on Instagram. Which <laughs> that is, is at- <laughs> com. And of course, yes, I'm on Instagram at honorarycox. Yes. So we're having fun with this, what might not quite qualify as a mini episode. And one of the things we wanted to talk about, since we're basically catching up and having fun, was Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we Silo is an Apple Plus show. We might as well talk about the other Apple Plus show, Ted Lasso, which I believe we both, I think, were over the moon about season one. In fact, we were so over the moon about season one that last year we added Ted Lasso recaps, you know, sort of as an addendum to our Space the Nation episodes. And I think it's safe to say that both of us grew a little more tepid about season two, which does lead to the next question. How are you feeling about season three, which I believe is supposed to be the last season? I like it more than season two. Uh, I like it more than season two, but here's my question. I, like, I'm enjoying it more, but what I'm not sure is, is the reason that I'm enjoying it more is because my expectations were lowered <laughs> from season two. And so like, I like season three has been funny. There's been a lot of laughs, yeah. like, you know, and I, I really enjoyed that. I've also enjoyed the, you know, the, the sentimental stuff of it. But I'm wondering if it's, let me put it this way. I don't think I want there to be a season four. Yes. And fortunately there won't be. I, I think yeah. it's hard to untangle that because I really was yeah. disappointed in season three. And and we yeah. have some de- Ted Lasso defenders. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. I really was 
disappointment season two. And we have some Ted Lasso defenders in, in the Discord, mm-hmm. which we haven't mentioned yet. If you're a patron, you get to join the Discord. Which is pretty awesome. Which yeah. is pretty awesome. And we have some Ted Lasso defenders on the Discord who pointed out that season two got kind of artificially, you know, meddled with because Lengthened. of lengthened and there were special episodes that they didn't have planned and so the architecture of it changed Mm -hmm. but i it's still not very good (laughs) like i don't know like it's still not very good (laughs) so i I mean i understand why but you know it doesn't make me enjoy it anymore and so it's hard so the bar was lowered what i'm noticing in season three is that the idea of a nice guy is not as it's not as different and it's also not being explored in as interesting a way yeah. as the first season. Like well, what made the first season good for me is that yeah. Ted Lasso's like boundless optimism was taken seriously in a way. Like how would people react? The show took person, it seriously. The show took right. it seriously that what would it be yeah. like if mm. this insanely optimistic person <laughs> showed up in like a fairly normal situation. Like how would people deal with that? And that's where a lot of the laughs came from. Right. Yeah. And it made him feel feel more realistic. It actually did, did a good job of making Ted Lasso's ridiculous optimism feel a little more real because it was responded to how it might be responded to in the real world. Yeah. And I thought you had something to say, so I. Oh no, I have I have several things to say. Sorry, I thought you were. I thought you were. I thought thought you were setting it up, and then and like you know now. But the problem is, is you're saying that in seasons two and three, it's not really doing that as much. Yeah, sorry. I guess it's been explored. I can I can I can finish the thought. uh, Which is yes, it was it was set up as something that would be a weird thing to have in the world. This Mm -hmm. optimistic person, who seems to be not necessarily completely sane, even right? Like it's such a strange thing. And now it's normalized. And also the whole show, there is no one left to be the spoiler. There's no conflict. There's no conflict whatsoever. Everyone is nice. Everyone is happy. Everything, everyone learns something. Everyone goes home with a prize at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I think season one was so magical in so many ways the timing of it during the depths of the pandemic, the, in some ways, it was the perfect counter-programming to all of these anti-heroes. And as you say, it it was, yeah, I don't know if you had this experience. It was one of those shows where like everyone's raving about it on Twitter and so on and so forth. And like they're saying, oh, it's so nice. It's so decent. And I'm like, well, fuck you. I don't want to watch this. This sounds awful. And like I got dragged into it kicking and screaming and damned if it wasn't amazing. Like, you know, and I think in like, you know, a more objective eye, I was actually fine with season two. It wasn't magical. Season two was a perfectly fine show. It wasn't bad. It was just, it. the problem was is that once you had Rebecca being no longer the antagonist, it it made things more challenging. And it did some interesting things. I like Nate's evolution. That actually made, that was an interesting character arc. I, uh, and in and some ways- Which now like, is- reversing you know yeah <laughs> because anna all you need is the love of a good woman and you eventually you know, uh, man, <laughs> figure out. <laughs> i knew that was gonna piss you off and that's why i said that um but but i think the problem is is that what weirdly the show wound up you, you were talking about how the show takes ted lasso's insane optimism seriously and how the other characters deal with it i think that's accurate I think weirdly one of the problems is, is that in seasons two and three, the show is trying to dig deeper into why he is so optimistic. And the answer is therapy and trauma. 
that yeah. or like or unrealized <laughs> trauma. And that is not a great answer. Let's be very clear. Like it, in some ways, it actually it, it weirdly I think cheapens why Ted is the way he is. Like I, I in some ways I kind of get it, but. There are other ways in which I'm like, come on, just let him actually be optimistic, not to avoid problems, but because he actually thinks that it's works for him. Or um, and it does, by the way, it has worked for him. Or, or you can have trauma in your past and yet still like being insanely friendly and cheerful can be a kind of a trauma response. Like I know some people yeah, that true. have okay. that, but it's also yeah. it can be a choice in a way too. Right. Like and that's the like problem. I, I have still this don't... terrible backstory that I don't want to yeah. deal with. Right. right. But one of the ways I'm going to live my life is in explicit rejection. Defiance or rejection. In defiance of this trauma but that I've sh- experienced, which I don't want to deal with. But right. <laughs> But the show did, so you could still doesn't have do like that. a thing to deal with. Like it still could be right, like. The problem is the yeah. show doesn't do that. And so that's where I think weirdly it actually subverts the first mm-hmm. season in a way that I don't like because the first season was amazing. The other problem I think with this season, and by the way, the other thing we should point out, the other change, the fundamental change with this season is that the episodes were about twice as long as they were before, yeah. which is okay. It's like, I, I don't find it dragging too much. But the fundamental problem with the season is like, what is Ted's purpose? You know, the, the thing I kept asking, particularly during the first half of the season is Ted was such a passive character, particularly in the first half, that I began to wonder, why are you still doing this? Like, why aren't you moving on? Why, you know, maybe you do need to to, to go back home or what have you. And so, and, and to be honest, part of it is like, I was just sort of waiting for the team to finally turn itself around. Um, because you knew that was going to happen. Now, there have been things that I've legitimately liked about this season. I have to say, Phil Dunster has done a wonderful job of turning Jamie Tart. Oh from my god, the just, best arc of the whole yeah. fucking show! Like it's actually amazing. The world from like literally the world's biggest narcissist to a genuinely decent human being who's still but a little dim, but like, but like but decent. You, you but yes, believe the exactly. arc. Like he still has those streaks yeah. of like narcissism and lack of self right. self awareness that make yeah. it believable that he's still in the process. Of right, and he's of becoming he a is, decent person. Literally, this season has been about him, and, and I know this is a cliche now, but he's doing the work, both yeah. physically and mentally. And like, and actually, I think the highlight for me of the the season so far was the Amsterdam episode yes. where he and Roy are just on bike. Like, he teaches Roy how to ride a bike, and like that was that was wonderful, and and that's been great. The other highlight, I think, and this is the benefit of being in season three rather than season one, is that I think for me, a lot of the laughs have come from the dynamics of the team itself, because we've gotten to know all of the, the act, all of the characters, you know, the players on the team. And so just frankly, it, it's the anti yellow jackets because one of the great yeah. things about the oh show God, is watching right. <laughs> is watching all these players just be really sweet together when they talk about various things. It's like literally half of the laughs I think of this show is like when someone says something and all the team is like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, totally fair. You know, and like, it's just, ador- it's delightful. Yeah. It's a delightful and adorable, but there's also, you know, there was a coming out arc, right? Right. Well, and, I, what did you think of that? I'm curious. And I know that people still struggle with that, right? And it's not really my story mm-hmm. to tell. And I don't want to have too much of a of a judgment here. Mm-hmm. However, it felt contrived. Uh, yeah. 
it, it in the same it, way, by the way, that Roy and Keeley breaking up and then apparently getting back together also felt contrived. Yes. In part because of what you're talking about, the team is so ultra supportive. And I believe you can still be in a supportive atmosphere and have and struggle with letting and also your sexuality is nobody's business. Like that's the other thing. Yeah. I actually kind of yeah. thought it would be interesting if he's gay and just decides, you know what? That's not something people need to know about me. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, or it, but be comfortable with it, but just kind of like, you know, it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a part of my personality. But done in the in the context of the team being so ultra supportive of each other, it just sort of rang weird. Although I did like I did like Trent being gay. That like, was a good choice, and I did yeah. like Trent and Colin talking about I, that. Yes. I actually thought that was quite that was well done. And again. I, I'm sorry, the actor who plays Trent Krim escapes me, but he he's, he's one of those actors that does a lot with very little dialogue. It's his reaction shots that are really good. And, you know, again, just exceptionally well done. And it's also cool to see like a late coming out story, which his is, you know, yeah. like well, that, that happens. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on it. Like this is where it's also a Gen X thing, I think, because let's face it, we came of age at the same time that coming out, yeah. that, that coming out was almost a ritual isn't quite the right word I'm looking for, but like it was, it was, you know, it's like the same reason Gen X always sends like holiday cards with letters in them because that, <laughs> that's what we did when we were in the nineties. It's the same thing. Oh, where you're coming out. So you always had to take people out to dinner. Or you had like to take people out. Right. It was a thing that you did. Like it was like, exactly. here is my, here is my coming out presentation exactly. for you. Here's yes. the PowerPoint that I'm right. going to do for you. <laughs> Right. And again, weirdly, ties Ted Lasso back to Yellow Jackets, which they're two the exact opposite shows, both had coming out arcs. So really interesting. Not no PowerPoints, which is I thought where you were going. That's true. I would love the idea of jackets like in the woods PowerPoint, like and somehow. That would be amazing. How to like do a You totally know Misty would act out the PowerPoint. Like that she would absolutely do that. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. All right. I think we've I think we've done Ted Lasso. I want to close with no? two other two other things I okay. have liked this season. I just want to say, okay. sure. first is any time you can put Anthony Stewart head in a role and actually expand it, yeah. that's good. He's in some ways the remaining bad guy is Rupert, and yet they've still managed to humanize him a little bit. And, you know, I like that. Second, and I don't know what's going on here. Maybe I, I just hadn't really noticed before, but it seems like Hannah Waddington's ridiculous hotness has been amped up to like 11 this season. I don't know if they're dressing her differently or something. All I know is she looks absolutely stunning. It could be me. It could be me. It could be the costuming. I don't know. All I know is that woman looks fucking amazing and I just worship her. That's I do love a substantial lady. You know, like I I love that she is, and I I keep on wanting to use the phrase big girl, but that is not the right one. (laughs) No, Um, no, but she's tall. She's statuesque. And she's, yes. she's tall and she's curvy. She's Amazon. And right. there is just no attempt to like make her seem anything but that, right? And like, no, damn, like, does, she, does that work no for her? Yes. Bo- if she's taller than a guy, then she's taller yeah. than a guy. You know, they're not yes. like trying to make her seem right. woman-sized in relation to somebody else. So I, I like that. And maybe that's what you're okay. picking up on because I think they're being even more bold with kind of her physical presence. I think that it it very well might be that because like again, I it's not that I ever thought she was an unattractive woman, but like I right. didn't really notice her in that way in seasons one and season two. Season three, it's impossible. Like I keep staring at her, thinking, "My God!" You like she will have scenes where she's yes. looking down at the man that she's talking yeah. to, and not yes. you know yes. not 
in a condescending way, but like literally, right, right, she just is in, she's like she a six to. foot yeah. something woman in it's, heels. It's the way angles work. <laughs> she has to look down. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah. All right. I think we have covered Ted Lasso to the degree we can should mm-hmm. cover him. Yes. And now we're going to go return to our other favorite Apple Plus show. Well, favorite, I don't know. I mean, we really love Severance. It's, it's the Apple show we're currently watching, Silo. Yes. And by the way, I might add, like, again, Silo has a lot in common with Severance, which is weird interior design, like, you know, <laughs> not, not, not an insignificant aspect of the show. And maybe we'll just bookmark this because I really want to talk about it because I actually think it has an IR angle, which is that the tr- this has made me so conscious of the trope in science fiction where everyone watching knows something is up and you have to create <laughs> a situation where the characters are believably caught up in right. a situation that to any genre savvy person, you know, knows that doesn't quite add and up. severance does it by giving everybody amnesia. Yes. So if you buy into the amnesia, you're, if you buy totally into the initial sense. setup, you're like, okay, yeah, they know something's up. They just have made mm-hmm. the choice to be there. Anyway, we're talking about Silo. There's only four episodes of Silo. Will this podcast ruin the four episodes if people listen to it? I think the answer is no. Um, you know, it will shock listeners to know that maybe not everything is okay <laughs> in Silo. There might be. Anna, do you want to explain why we keep saying that, by the way? <laughs> so it, it's actually completely appropriate to our conversation because I listened to the Chapo Trap House episode about Ted Lasso. Listeners, if you know anything about that podcast, you will not be surprised to know that they fucking hated Ted Lasso. <laughs> and I think it's amusing, even like I disagree with their take, but they have some good points. They kind of, and I think I've heard this take before, which is the Americanness. It's almost like an imperial, like, America getting Britain back for, <laughs> for colonization because it's like this total colonizing attitude, right? Anyway, sure. interesting, disagree. But one of the running jokes in the episode is <laughs> one of the, the Chapo guys brings up Silo every once in a while and says, I think there might be something off in that Silo. <laughs> and ever since I told Dan that, neither of us can stop. <laughs> we can't stop saying it. Can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, and I would love to take credit for that, but I credit where credit is due. And that is where I heard it. And now it, I feel like it applies to almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. So in terms of will this podcast ruin it for you, I suspect listeners also suspect that something might be up with the silo. <laughs> and, you know, through episode four, we're dimly aware of what it might be, but like not entirely. And so, you know, other than that, no, it, 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 it's a show that works on a variety of levels. So far, the plot twists have been minimal. Yeah. yeah. Previous experience. This is famously based on a series of books, Dan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you, do you have any experience with the books? None. I've never read the books. What about you? I have read the books. I don't Ooh. really remember them. Again, oh, that's great. <laughs> this is also, there is a period 2010, 2011, where my memory is very spotty. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just, I, I will take that into account. I remember not being, I, I liked them, but not being like super jazzed by them. But sometimes I have this like completest instinct when I start a series, like I have to finish it. So yeah, I respect that. I read them. I think there's some interesting things about the television adaptation. I want to point mm-hmm. out. So 
it was a, the original book is actually called Wool, which I still don't quite remember how that makes sense, but it's called Wool. And it is the other self-published book from this time period that went worldwide. The other one being Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. <laughs> I was actually going to say Twilight, so, you know. No, uh, well, Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey was a Twilight. Was fan a fan fiction based, right, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. It is created by Graham Yost, who is also behind Justified. And I know that's supposed to be real good. And I like Timothy Oliphant. It's real good. And I, it's kind of on my eventual list to watch. Oh, but you haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Haven't watched it. Yet. I've seen a couple episodes and I see so the appeal, I. but for some reason, like yeah. I haven't done a deep dive. I am interested in the fact that Rebecca Ferguson, also from Dune, friend of the pod, mm-hmm. Rebecca Fer- Ferguson, yes. she she's okay. explicitly yes. not Lady Trish. She is Lady Jessica because she's not married oh. to the Duke. So mm-hmm. she's a producer on this show. And I feel like mm-hmm. I just don't see a lot of women helming producing like this kind of stuff and i could be missing a lot of things but when her name popped up i was interested and apparently Mm -hmm. she was very passionate about the project she did not know the books when it was brought to her but since then read them all loved them uh has has been in constant communication she says with hugh howley who hugh howley howley Howley, who is the author of those books and i just i think it's interesting to see someone have that kind of passion where it's not necessarily expected. And last thing, I did look at the Wikipedia entry uh, for Rebecca Ferguson and this line I want to share. Yes. Since 2016, Ferguson has been in a relationship with a man called Rory. I want to apologize to Rebecca Ferguson for laughing at her personal <laughs> relationship. I'm not really laughing at that. I'm laughing no, no, at the no. audience. You are laughing just at a like dude named the, Rory. The Wikipedia yeah. guy just throwing yeah. up his hands. Like somebody Wikipedia, someone doing the Wikipedia entry is just like, I don't like, got nothing. Some guy called Rory. Don't know. <laughs> there, there's Rory. <laughs> uh, moving on to Chekhov's What's It, which is a thing that appears early and then comes back. And we have a surfeit of Chekhov's yes, What's It I, in this show. For me, it's going to be Chekhov's myriad clues left by dead people that they are quite certain will be found by the right live person. <laughs> Which is, I that is a tick that I am not a fan of, where it's like, you know, the sheriff leaves various clues for, uh, for, for Juliet. And I just kept thinking, really, are you sure this is actually going to work out? Like, it would actually be hysterical if there was a a plot where it turned out, nope, nope, all those clues just go away. We don't, we don't even know. <laughs> what about you, Anna? I was going to say check off Silo because uh, I think there's something <laughs> up with that Silo. Uh, <laughs> there might be something strange in that Silo, Anna. That's a good point to make. We're going to have to make that point again. See if it comes up later. Like I think we just need to keep an eye on it. <laughs> yes. I also wonder, and this is something I vaguely, I, I vaguely remember from the books, which is. And this bothered me a little bit, but there is, I believe, a plot point for there being no elevators. Like, I want that had bothered the fuck out of me. I have to admit, like, there has to be. I I kept thinking, at least, isn't there like an? I kept thinking that maybe judicial and IT have like a secret elevator that they use because, like, that would make sense. Like, why? How could there be no elevator? That makes zero sense. People pulling it up like <laughs> pulley system. Yeah, you, you could know? do dumb waiters. Yeah, you could have a yeah. dumb waiter. Like, yeah, it's I got mean, for, way. for special it people. Sucks. Like you couldn't do that all the time, but like. Well, I I guess what I would say is sucks to be a handicapped person in the silo because like yeah, there are no ramps. Be, 
Yeah. yeah, there is. This yeah, is a yeah. very ableist show, actually, now that I think about it, because one of the things we'll get it, get to it, the parts of the world building that are good and thought out and the parts of the world building that are not as well thought out. But one of them is what would you do with the people that are not able to walk, able to see, mm-hmm. might have some kind of disability of any kind? Um, or if, if those people don't exist, that would actually be an interesting thing to know as well it would say also, something about maybe correct. what's yes. up at that silo could be could explain why something might be afoot at the silo uh, that's a fair point yeah all right dan now we are not going to do the full act one act two act three stuff which Ooh. you do so well but oh, we are going to do a, a blurbish thing to sort of yes. set us up to talk about the show for people that may not have already seen it what is your your book jacket blurb for the one so again four we're going to Yes, I was saying, I'm going to stress, this is only for the first four episodes. 10,000 people live in a 100-plus floor underground silo because the atmosphere above ground is apparently toxic. The silo is split by class, with the upper levels occupied by elites, the mids occupied by professionals, and the blue-collar residents living in the down deep. According to the pact, which was set up 140 years ago after a rebellion that mysteriously erased the silo's history, residents can request to go outside. That request is granted and is irrevocable. No one survives the outside. The plot starts with a couple, Sheriff Holston and IT support person Allison, who have been given permission to have children. They get a year, and it doesn't go very well. Allison requests to go outside. A few years later, so does Holston. He recommends a mechanical named Juliet Nichols as his replacement. Holston had been helping investigate the death of Juliet's unsanctioned paramour, George Wilkins, a computer tech who had been digging into pre-rebellion hard drives with the assistance of Allison. Juliet accepts the job, which will be challenging since the mayor who appointed her was poisoned to death and neither judicial nor IT, the silo's two apparent power centers, really want her for the job. Anna, does that about sum it up? Dan, I think something might be up with that judicial department. Are you saying? (laughs) What? What? Whoa, I did not see that coming. Holy cow, that could be a possibility. That's amazing. Yeah, and I, I think something might be up with that head of IT, Tim Robbins, who kind of lurks around and says ominous shit, you know? like. <laughs> and that I do, I do think those are important to mention, uh, uh, but it is... Yeah. And we're making this show sound a little more ham-fisted than it is. But no, and it's it, not ham-fisted. Like, actually, yeah. I, and in all seriousness, I think this was a show whose trailer did not serve it well. Because it, yeah. I don't know if you saw the trailer on it, but I did. And like, so when I saw the trailer, the trailer was, oh, they're all living in this underground thing and it's a lie. That was my takeaway from watching the 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 trailer. And I suspect that is still true. But in some ways, what the show is demonstrating is that the journey matters, the world building matters. And those are the areas where the show actually really does excel. Yeah. And it, it, when I'm making fun of the judicial uh coding the, the coding of them is kind of nefarious and the coding of tim robbins character is nefarious i mean it's just part of genre you know like yeah. it's it's just yeah. they are the sneaky bad guys and there's something oh, yeah. and there is actually i will say that's the best way to put it about, about tim robbins is there's something up there <laughs> like, yep. by the way it, it was to be legit funny and like almost out of the office that if the mayor dies the mayor pro tem is the head of it i don't know that yeah. i just find that very amusing Yes. And there is kind of some weird genre streams crossing here, mm-hmm. you know, like there is almost a workplace comedy. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. happening, you know? They could have gone a different direction and it could have been that. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about what the show is. Yes. How is this science fiction different from all other science fiction, Dan? Well, for me, Anna, I think there's three. I, actually, there's just two ways in which I think this show is different. The first is the set design and the costuming which is, I don't know if it's using CGI or if they actually built a set that was that massive, but the silo is a character in and of itself, I would, I think it's safe to say. It's set up as like this just massive, you know, concrete structure that with a central sort of single helix staircase. It works incredibly well. And by the way, the costuming, I think, also works incredibly well. And in that sense, it's kind of unique. Like, it's hard to describe, but it's sort of muted colors and like a combination of simultaneously futuristic and also like vaguely 1950s-ish. And and yet it works. It works incredibly well. Even the computers, by the way, which I loved, um, are just, it, it, again, like Severance, just something distinct. Um, I've never seen those before, but it still works. That's really good. It, the second thing I think it's unique is the sort of parceling out of clues. And by that, I mean, in particular, we know from the beginning of episode two that whatever the cover story is for the silo is clearly wrong because we see the sheriff as he goes outside and what the sheriff sees is a pretty verdant landscape. Now, he still apparently dies, although who knows if he'll come back later. But like it does suggest that whatever the the residents of the silo believe is not actually what's what's happening. But it doesn't explain that mystery yet. And obviously that makes, you know, a fair amount of sense. But what's interesting is that sort of the point of view of the of the watcher is a touch more omniscient than the characters. And at least it, it, you know, in episode two, it already suggests, yeah, you're right to suspect there's something going on in the silo because <laughs> there's something going on in the silo. And from the book, I do remember mm-hmm. there is, there is an actual choice that may surprise you. Okay. Um, but I think it is done very well that we, again, we mock it, but it isn't clear what, what is wrong at the silo. Right. And, we, to be fair, we know something's wrong. We just don't know what it is and we don't know why. And, and, that's, and those are the value added of, of a good sci-fi. And I think it is ambiguous and that w- they're lying about something, right? Right. We don't know what they're lying but about. But we don't yes. know exactly what they're lying about because our information about the outside is conflicting. Right. And further, I would add, furthermore, we don't know who is lying consciously and who is lying unconsciously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's still the mystery. Like, yeah, as you say... IT and judicial clearly seem to know a little more than they're letting on. But what I'm kind of curious to to find out is who believes the story and therefore is just like, shut up. This is actually the way the world works. And who actually knows what's going on? And I honestly don't know the answer to that question. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. I I think I love the same things about it and also find those those things unique. Uh, The set design and the clothes. I will say the clothes are, the, the costuming is good in part because those muted colors seem logical if you're going to wash something 10,000 fucking times, right? Yeah, yeah Like yeah. that's, you, those clips, they might not have started out that muted. <laughs> that's a fair point, yes. I wonder if they'll flash back to like year one of the silo and everyone's wearing day glow colors. Or yeah. Something. I, I also appreciated the way that electronics are incorporated. It is in mm-hmm. some way out of time. It's, it's both yeah. futuristic and uh, anachronistic. And, yes, exactly. and sort of yeah. believable that there would be like an intranet of some right. kind but that it would not be completely uh, accessible or there would still be problems with it. And the way I would put it is that there's internet, but there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now you mentioned a bunch of the characters, but do we want to talk about any more of them or get specific about them? 
Anna, I actually nominate that we rename Silo the Will Patton show and just be over with it um, because he was far and away my favorite character. And we, we talked when we did Baperal about how good Patton was in Armageddon. I think he's incredible in this show. Um, and he's incredible because like there's a just a weariness to the character. I mean, like in some ways, it's the classic cliche of like a law enforcement officer who's like on his, you know, going to retire at some point. But he's amazing in it. And and honestly, his romance, his sort of like crush, I guess the way to put it on the mayor, Johns, who's played by Geraldine James, is incredibly sweet. And it's the beating heart of the first of the episodes that I watched. And so which means that his grief when when she is mysteriously poisoned feels incredibly real. And just again, I basically my takeaway from the show is that Will Patton should be in all the shows. He's very good. And yeah. I, I absolutely loved him in Armageddon. I think he's he was yeah. one of the few characters that really has like a, a heart. It's not you know right. that that is doing acting, not with a capital right. A exactly, but he just does. No, so but he's much not just so he's not just glistening in the screen. He actually like there's interior work going on in in his character. Exactly, yeah. there is actually a, an arc that you see, and he it's mm-hmm. not given to him. Will Patton right. somehow made it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, he's great in that. He's great in this. Um, also, he's so good. I was genuinely worried that he would commit suicide and that we would not right. see him again. And I thought to myself that, well, I guess they would, they could do that. They, they killed mm-hmm. off Rashida Jones. Yes. But after the but first episode, that was, yeah, that was kind of shocking. I would say that the acting in general is pretty great. I do love Rashida Jones. She's very Tim good. Robbins. Yeah. She was very good. She has a really good way of bringing some comedy to characters that are not necessarily comedic. You know, that yeah. she, there's a yeah, lightness yeah. to her, which well, she's weird. seems she very natural. This, it's funny because she's known for her comedies, but she usually plays the straight man in the comedies. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it, I, there's an every woman quality to in in the role, which I think works really well for her in this role. Because in some ways, what she's doing, the sort of the arc that she has in that first episode is kind of the arc that the viewer has. Now we come to one of the most important questions. I have for you, Dan. Oh, not oh. the question I have for you. Okay. Well, what is it, Anna? Is there IR in this show? Anna, I eat the same shit you eat. Maybe with a bit more salt. Maybe with a bit more sriracha <laughs> sauce. I don't know. <laughs> but my spicy response is that there is some IR in this show. I think there's sort of two levels of IR. The first is what is interesting to me is the recognition. Um, and I believe it's the Will Patton character who finally says it at one point, the recognition that this entire silo is vulnerable to a systemic failure, to a catastrophic failure, which my answer, you know, my thought is, yeah, actually, the, the question I have about this show is not, oh, this is really the first time they've had to shut down the main generator in 140 years. The real question I have is, how do they go 140 years without anything else breaking of that kind of, you know, severity. So that a redundancy. Yeah. Like at least I, exactly. Kind. Um, you know, like, like props to the founders for making this work apparently for as long as it did, but I don't actually believe that it would work as long as it, as it did, but at least the character saying we've always been vulnerable to this kind of failure does demonstrate the ways in which the silo is distinct from, I guess, above ground societies where we're also vulnerable to it. We just don't really talk about it as much. We don't really think about it as much because it can't be ever present. So that I certainly respected. And that's in some ways the ways in which shows like this are can be distinct is pointing out, yes, we know we're in a hermetically contained system. And by the way, that system is vulnerable. And so that's great. 
The second way in which I think there's IR is, and it's weird because you would think for international relations, there have to be multiple actors, right? You know, there, there have to be multiple sovereign entities. And there isn't in this show. There is just the single silo. And there is a clear, explicit hierarchy in the silo, literally by floor. But there is a tension, I think, that the show wisely draws out between hierarchy and anarchy, which is, yes, there is a hierarchical structure. Nominally, that exists. But there is clearly an awareness that there are ways in which things could get out of control. You know, so the concern about what would happen when the power goes out, you know, the sheriffs need to assert authority. The tension between the sheriffs and judicial, which, by the way, is interesting, but needs to be explained a little more to me because I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what the difference is between the sheriffs and, and you know, judicial. I kind of want a little more. Law enforcement is distinct from the judicial system. I mean, yeah. yes. I mean, yes. As it, we know from law and order. Right. Exactly. There yeah. are. <laughs> in the criminal justice system, there are two yeah. sets of actors, Anna. Yeah, you know, right. And I think something's afoot with those two sets of actors. <laughs> um, but the point being that, like, one of the things the show does well is demonstrating that there's a lot of sort of hidden interactions that are going on that that allow for the fact that while there is hierarchy, that hierarchy is limited in terms of what it can do. Um, even in just a 10,000 person society because of the nature of it. So yeah, there is some IR and I'm kind of curious to see how it evolves. In some ways, that's the more interesting, you know, intellectually, that's the interesting aspect of the show and kind of curious how episodes five through 10 deal with that. And Anna, <laughs> I kind of thought you had a response. I was, was waiting for you to like. Oh, I, all right. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, I also am curious how they deal with it. I think that for now I have a lot of grace for this show because mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's so much that they're hinting at yeah. that it's hard for me to find too much fault with the world building. Right. But I do find some fault with the world building. Okay. This is fair. And I think this might lead to a question that I have for you, Anna. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this show? Dan, what's the value of swearing an oath if you only stick to it when it's easy? Hmm. So I had to think about what the critique of capitalism was in this show because I had to have find one, right? And yeah. there's always, there is always, there's, there's always, always some, there's always something. Yeah. Um, and there is because we live in a capitalist system and you can't create something within it without commenting on it. It's not always a criticism as we know from Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is something of a critique of capitalism here because there is no capitalism. I mean, <laughs> they're kind of references to having a market, right. but I haven't seen any money. Right. I'm not sure what the banking system would be. Do they say credits? Economy. I can't remember. I can't, I, you know, I think yeah. they might say credits, but like, how does that work? And then also, if it's a barter economy, how did you get a caste system? Yeah. Right? Like, and it, also, if you have to give away, there's they make very explicit that, that there is no accumulated wealth, right? right? You have to give shit away. Once you die- And stuff, stuff is becomes, recycled. Exactly. Stuff yeah. is recycled. So how did they wind up with what is it more than a class system? It's a caste system. The one answer I had for that, and it was implied in the fourth episode, I think, about like how do mechanicals become mechanicals. And I think that the argument seems to be that the one thing that is inherited, the one thing that is passed down, is knowledge of one's profession. And so that did make a little sense to me in, this, in that, yeah, it would make sense that mechanicals beget other mechanicals or doctors might beget other <laughs> I'm not saying it's great. I guess. I, I, also, I, and I certainly don't want to defend that as a viable system of, of organizing society. But within the context of the show, I sort of got it. 
I guess. Um, yeah. Although, it's why, why is it so unequal? That's one question I Fair have. Fair enough. Yes. Like, yes. If, if, like, if there is very little money trading and you can't accumulate wealth, also, how do they support a municipal system if right. there's like no taxes or anything? A or better question. No taxes? And I'm actually surprised you didn't ask this, Anna. It's like, I was surprised the mechanical wasn't unionized. Well, that is a good point. Yeah. A- and I confess i did not think of that so but like it struck me well, that- although what i did think is that mechanical should have more pa- like they right. should have more respect That's- because they can shut the whole thing down exactly like, they, should, you, they, they can sanction yes like I- they maybe shouldn't be allowed to unionize sort of like whatever cops and teachers some places because like they can't strike well like they shouldn't workers, be allowed to right. strike yeah, yeah government workers you know either way like that should like either the, the whole n- thing falls apart the norm against striking should have either been in there or the idea that they have power because they're the only ones who know how the the generator works also should give them power. One of those things needed to be addressed. Neither of them was. So although there's a lot to like about the world building, like it sort of hurt my head to think about how this might actually work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I I did think about how economics is usually the weak part of almost any science fiction world building, unless Fair. you're explicitly interested in it, in which case it can be the some of the most boring parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> Because when when an author is explicitly interested in the economics of this invented society, <laughs> they usually get very, very interested in it. The way I would put it is when, <laughs> when an author is really interested in the economics of the world building, what it indicates is they don't want to deal with the plot. And there's going to be like yeah, three novels or the characters. <laughs> so we're going to go up like three novels on the money standard before we finally get to the winds of winter. It's sort of like the, that sort of is a foundation series for me, although yeah. it's not the economy so much as like the political economy that he's interested in to the to the exclusion of everything else yeah so i thought maybe this is actually this is either lack of criticism of capitalism or the absence of a capitalism is the critique but maybe it's even bigger critique which is to say capitalism is so powerful and it's so like it's something that we assume is natural that in fact like exists beyond society on some level and then if we're not careful to collectively organize around it uh, it just continues to perpetuate class systems, even in the absence of an economy, which seems weird. Yep. But and also, there's no like there no there's no land ownership, is there? Like I no, I, I, I mean just clearly no like, because like remember you know Juliet basically is bequested Holston's apartment. Yeah. So yeah. that also is there was a way in which this work. there was a way in which this kind of felt like a Soviet apartment building. Like both aesthetically and also like wh- yes. how people wind up doing what they're doing, you know. So yeah, yeah, and that would be an interesting thing to kind of introduce is if it's explicit that there is supposed to be equality, but there isn't because people you know, do find ways to like make themselves more, you know, uh, acquire more than others, unless that there's a specific intervention about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that people do have black markets and whatnot, yeah, like. Yeah. You know, I mean, I do think the market is a choice, but I also think it's something that people are usually conscious of as a thing and right. are either working in it or thinking about how to work outside of it. So it's just yeah. weird. That there's like no, yep. there's just nothing. Totally so it's fair. weird. I think there's something weird about this silo, Dan. There could be something weird. weird. There could be something off about the silo. I think that's a fair point. And, you know, we're just going right. to have to watch the rest of the show to figure that one out. And speaking of things being off. (laughs) (laughs) Pushing notes. Grinding gears. I also wondered about entertainment in the silo. But we'll move on. Yes. 
because we have a, we have questions from the Discord. We that do. Is what Discord notes is about these are questions from our patrons who ask them on the Discord, and if we feel that they're worthy of answering, we elevate them to the uh, <laughs> to the, the, to the podcast. Uh, Mostly, right. it's whether I think the question is something that like we haven't thought of in terms of addressing and, and is worth dealing with. So, yes. Jim Rubel asks: Is there some benefit to totalitarian regimes? Uh, creating and only loosely enforcing contraband laws. So one of the aspects of Silo is that there are things called relics, which Oh, we are, didn't even discuss this part of yes. the world building, which is weird. Right. So like <laughs> we know that there was a rebellion 100... Well, I, I said in the, the outset, there's a rebellion 140 years ago, yeah. apparently erased all history. Relics are things from before the rebellion. We've seen some of these relics. Some of these relics will look very familiar. They include things like Pez dispensers, Statue of Liberty, you know, trinkets and so on and so forth. And obviously everyone has them, even though everyone acts all shocked that that someone does have them. So the question is, you know, why would they do this? First of all, I do have to point out this isn't a totalitarian regime. I mean, I don't deny it would that be you'd be more interesting. <laughs> In a yeah. way. I don't deny that it would make more sense. It would make right, more sense right. if it was totalitarian. I don't deny that judicial and IT clearly are exercising power behind the scenes, but there is an elected mayor. And hey, you know, Mayor John's popular as shit. She apparently carried like every floor, you know, which is honestly seems like a pretty impressive political accomplishment. Um, so it's not really a totalitarian regime, but she's the Erdogan. She's the Erdogan. <laughs> there you go. Yes. yes. Or the Obama. What you would take would take your pick. Sure, sure. I do think there are two reasons why they might do this. The first is, is that if you're a regime that has to crack down on some things, allowing this to slide demonstrates leniency and therefore sort of muddies the waters. It makes you less the sort of black hatted villain all the time. Um, and at the same time, having the law on the books is still useful because if you ever do need to actually just arrest someone for some reason, this is an easy charge to, to levy because surely if everyone has relics, then that's a way you can enforce it. So... I mean, I, I would say that, that that might be the ways in which uh, this would make sense from a totalitarian perspective or even from a democratic regime. I was going to say that just needs to occasionally arrest someone. It's how marijuana laws work these there days. There we go. Yeah. In the states. Yep. This is really off topic, but it's something that I feel like people should know. Yes. <laughs> which is Austin Police Department entered into an agreement with the Texas Highway Patrol or Texas Patrol uh-huh. to to do law enforcement in Austin. Uh-huh. And it turns out like 90% of the people they arrested were black. And no, were really? For, and like a majority of the arrests for like, were like for possession of less than an ounce of marijuana. Oh, for it was, it's like, seriously, that's like, oh, yeah, man. it's like, it is, it is. <laughs> it's also so antithetical to the Austin. Like yeah. I, things are bad it's almost like things are bad it's almost like they're trying to demonstrate the critical race theory actually has some empirical validity you know in a state where you outlaw it would be like i wish that was what was going on i know i know but speaking of just totalitarian regimes yeah things are not something's up here in the state of texas things are afoot in the state of texas in terms of the governing there might be something wrong in the texas silo might be something wrong in the in the texas silo i'm sorry all right oh wait Oh, I think something's falling. Oh no, it's falling the, the, the gear. That, story. Oh yes, it's the gears, gears from the turbine. Yes, like there must be something amiss there. Yep. <laughs> the debris field. This is where we talk about the stuff that we didn't get to talk about before, and I guess there are still a few things. Yep. Uh, what do you got, Dan? Okay, I'm just gonna 
go with some of the plot elements that don't quite make sense. The most obvious of which is, is that we are told that there was a rebellion 140 years ago and the rebels somehow erased all history. And that's not how it works. <laughs> like, you know, I, I get the impression that by erasing all history, they say that they deleted all documents and so on and so forth. You know what? People have memories on I'm pretty sure that if like someone erased shit, others would be able to write down very quickly what the actual history was. And so, I mean, maybe we'll, there'll be a more plausible story or explanation for this as the, the show goes along. But that was one of those where I was like, yeah, that's that's not how it works. Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of not how it works, although this this is a thing we've been circling around and maybe it's a topic for discussion just on its own at some point for yeah. us, which is this idea that how hard it is to create a realistic repressive society right. that where people who aren't genre savvy would be like, yep, yeah, okay. Uh, but then I did remember North Korea. Ah, like, yeah. and that unfortunately, yeah, people, this is not one of the reasons why this rings false, right? Mm -hmm. is, it, is the idea of a suddenly repressive society, which is that's, and that's tends to be not how a totalitarian, and again, oh, this is not totalitarian, but it is weirdly, how is there a term for this kind of society, Dan, which is like where something's off in the silo? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, there's, there's like, do a, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know it what is it is a situation where it's not explicitly totalitarian. No, what there is, right? is like, you're expecting someone to have some copy of C. Wright Mills as the power elite and like waving it around. <laughs> so like, see, this is how it really works down here. There's this deep structure. I mean, I, God help me. There is a deep state within the silo. That is oh, what is apparently yeah. evident. That's the, yeah. that's the way I would put it. Um, but it is the the imposition of a, a immediately very rule based. Yeah. Um, don't ask questions. That's what feels totalitarian about it, yeah. right? Is yeah. the is like the, the the sense of of menace. Mm -hmm. Here here we go. Here's what feels weird about it. It's the sense of menace, the idea that uh, disobeying in some way there is this death sentence that hangs over everyone's head. Yeah. That's what feels repressive about it. Yeah. And I guess that is how you kind of explain the lack of people insurrection asking yeah. questions or even like i mean they explicitly talk about this the fact that once someone does go outside they don't have to clean the window that everyone or the camera where everyone looks out you know there's nothing holding them back and yet they all do um so it, it's interesting that way right anything else from you yeah a uh, couple things you know we talked there, there is a lot of class conflict it's really talked about more than actually done so much in this show but the the class conflict that i like the most was between nichols and the assistant in the sheriff's office. And the reason <laughs> I... Place comedy. Right. Well, the reason I liked it was because in some ways the assistant is at the same class. It's just like, you know, she's at the lowest rung of the elite level, but because she works in as an assistant, in some ways she's, you know, by whatever, however you want to judge this, it's clear that she's looking down at Nichols in part because she's insecure about her own status. And so that, that felt very real. Like that was, I actually liked that little particular trope and and that that's the way in which sometimes uh if you really want to get marxist about it the elites can truly keep you know lower classes divided amongst themselves yes that works really well yeah sometimes race is used that way you don't say <laughs> well okay another kind of missing piece in this story is whether or not there are divisions that might be from bigotry 
you know, I, uh, in this society. I guess, although this is a case where, like, I'm fine with them not I mean, we that. have to just wave it away yeah. also because, especially in this day and age of sci-fi where inclusive casting is a priority for right. a lot of people. Yeah. Like, you don't always want the inclusive casting to explicitly right. be acknowledging. Yeah, it's weird that we're all okay with race because in our fictional society, it's not an issue, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just want to see... You just want to see inclusive casting. Speaking right. of which, common, not great. I I'm holding it. Let me just wait. My not I'm not saying something about inclusive no, casting. No, 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 no. My that, jury that, is out on both common and Tim Robbins because basically, they, and I, when I say inclusive, yeah, I yeah, mentioned common. It's rapping rappers right. being <laughs> yes. cast my, in sci-fi. I guess I just want to say my jury is out on this because the truth is they haven't been given much to do yet, and I'm assuming they're going to have bigger roles going forward. And so, like that's that's totally fine. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I think Tim Robbins also I'm expecting he has to. But well, it's judicial and, yeah. and, and IT. IT yeah. So menacing in the background. So sometimes also, they have to come and menace in the foreground. There's clearly a judge who's in charge of judicial that we haven't seen yet. And I'm assuming that yeah. comes in at some point. So, you know, there, yeah. there's a lurking big bad, I'm, I'm suspecting. One little thing, which is like, again, I assume this was an intentional clue. But like, I don't know if you notice when the power goes out, when you're in the cafeteria, it goes from being the desolate landscape to being the verdant one. And I have to assume that was a conscious choice to indicate maybe something's afoot in the silo, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> and also a choice. Someone notices it. Yes, but it does. But that's it. Like, you don't see them. It doesn't go. It does seem like that. that would be a bigger deal. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I was like, wait a minute. People saw that. Like, everyone would have seen that. That seems like an interesting thing to comment on. Why wasn't it talked about that? Yeah, again. Yeah. And that's it for me for Debris Field. I think we talked about a lot, but uh, you have some more? I have two little little more things. First of all, I like the porters um, and the backpacks that they had. Yes. That was, again, part of the, the sort of world building. Also, and I, there's no other way to put this. Why are they even putting on hazmat suits when they go outside? Because clearly <laughs> the hazmat suits don't work, Anna. Like, you put on a hazmat suit, there's this whole rigmarole of, like, stuff you're put on. And it lasts five minutes. I mean, that those are pretty inferior hazmat suits is all I'm saying. Anna. I have an answer for that. Oh, you which do? Is that, yes, which okay. is that they need to clean the camera. Right, I get and that. And it wouldn't last without some kind of hazmat suit. They, they die pretty quick. I What I'll say yeah. is, they do they have an unlimited supply of hazmat oh, suits? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's a fair point. I mean, maybe <laughs> that I'd was my thought. Maybe that's like, why the hazmat suits are shitty. But like, it was just, it's this weird thing where like, they do all the rigmarole to put the hazmat suit on. They go out, they wipe it, and that's it. They got like 30 seconds after that. That's all they have. So yeah. it, Although, it's, it's a weird combination. It's true. The sheriff takes off his helmet, right. but Rashida Jones does, does not. not. Right. Yeah. And still, does, still has about the same amount of time. Yep. Anyway, I think there might be something up. There could, I think, in conclusion, there might be something up <laughs> with the silo, and you need to watch to figure out what it is. All right. Well, we're still going to give you Ender's Game as a little treat. Yep. After this, because I don't know if we're going to do another episode about the silo, even though I know everybody wants to know what's up there. We could, we could not. I mean, this is where you know we we play fast and rules, loose with the rules, Anna. We, we you yeah, know. this is our show. Exactly. We we are the we live in the highest part of the. You, of the I am judicial. You are IT. You know, and we will get together <laughs> and talk about this. All right, and we will let you all know when we do. We will. And until that time, keep this channel open for more.